When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. a really great interview to share with you guys today. I interviewed my friend, Rosemary Griffin, who is an SLP and BCBA. She has over 20 years experience in the field, and I was so excited to talk to her about this topic. Today, she is sharing five ways to engage your preschoolers who are not yet verbal communicators. And although we really focus on the little guys and our preschoolers in this conversation, I must say these strategies I think would be so relevant for really any student with emerging verbal communication skills. I think this is an important topic to touch on because so often, especially with our little guys, we don't quite know maybe where to start. How do we get those learners engaged and communicating and becoming an active member of our classroom? Um, The strategies that Rose shares are so user-friendly and real-world based. I love all of the examples she shares, and I can't wait for you to learn from her. Rose is the owner of ABA Speech. I'm going to share her website in our show notes. She's truly a wealth of knowledge, and I love the way she talks about communication and behavior. We're super on the same page with things. 
I am also really excited to have Rose on the podcast because Rose and I are hosting a conference together in March. Now, you may have heard me talk about this on social media or gotten my email about it. Maybe you already signed up, which is great. On March 12th, Rose and I are hosting the Autism Connection Conference. There are five speakers, including Rose and myself, and we are sharing best practices and real-world strategies for working with learners on the spectrum. I am so excited about our invited speakers. We have some dynamic presenters, interdisciplinary fields included, and we really wanted to create a conference that was for you guys for special education teachers, for clinicians, for parents who are working with learners on the spectrum and need more strategies. We're going to cover a lot of topics in our conference, and I think it's just going to be such a great day. It's on a Saturday, so you don't need to take the day off. And I know you're like, oh my gosh, Sasha, on a Saturday, I'm going to do work. But you guys, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be fun. I am so, so pumped about this. I've been working on my session a lot. I'm going to put the link to the Autism Connection Conference in the show notes for you to sign up. If you are in my membership, you automatically get a 15% discount. No code needed. As long as you use the same email that you signed up for the membership with, you get 15% off the cost of the conference. And we are still in our early bird price of $99. So definitely check that out. But let's get back to Rose, right? So we've got those five strategies that she is sharing. So let's go ahead and jump into this interview. Hi, Rose. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here, Sasha. To be actually back again, because you've already been on the podcast. I'm excited to have you on a second time. Yeah, that was many moons ago, I think, when you first started the podcast. I think so. I think it was like within the first 15 episodes. Yeah, special. Throwback. Uh, I'm excited about what we're going to chat about today, because I have to say I love when an episode or an interview is like really niched down and specific. I like, you know, when we can get those really detailed strategies. So when you brought up this idea of talking about specifically preschool age children who aren't yet speaking and what strategies to use, I thought that was such a great topic because I'm sure as you do as well, I get the question a lot of like, where do I start? What do I do when I have this group? Yes, it can definitely be hard when you're working with little ones or just any student who's not yet spontaneously communicating. And if you've tried an assessment, if the student is not yet sitting or engaging in evaluation type tasks, it can be really hard and it can feel like a mystery on how to support the student. You're like, okay, I know that I need to help my students start communicating, but where do I even begin? Yeah, I think that's the hardest part. It's like that feeling of overwhelm, like there's not this starting off point. I don't have this like clear path or plan. So what kind of advice do you give on that? What That literally like, where do I even jump in? Yeah, I think the, the number one tip and strategy that I have is to provide a robust assessment. And I know that clinically, my life kind of changed when the VB map came out mm-hmm. um, by Dr. Sunberg. It really just firmed up so many things for me. So if you have access to something like the VB map or the functional communication profile, because sometimes students don't have those learning readiness skills. They're not going to sit and attend and engage in evaluation type tasks. So we really have to start with something like that so we can see how is our student currently communicating. And something that is also really, really important, and I know just from doing, you know, a lot of research and doing this 20 years, is if you can include an observation 
as part of your assessment, that that is really, really key. Now, I think it's a little bit easier for me as a school-based therapist to do that because I can see my student when they are in a structured group session with their teacher. I can see how they're communicating there. And then I can also observe something like lunch or gym that's a little less structured. And when you pair that observation um, with any type of assessment, I think it gives you a really good snapshot of how is the child currently communicating. And that's really, really important to think about the child as a communicator across different environments. Oh, I love that advice. I have two follow-up questions. So for parents or even teachers who aren't familiar with the VB map, um, can you give a little background on what that is and how easy it is to use? Because I yes. always feel like a used car salesman on things yes, like this. Like, no, yes. <laughs> The VB map is an amazing um, assessment. It can help drive your intervention. And, you know, it's split into three different sections, level one, level two, and level three. And it really teases out different ways that students communicate. So it looks at how is a student requesting? How is a student labeling? What does a student look like when they're in a group? And I think that's something that we just don't get that information anywhere else. You know, um, is a student able to imitate? Is a student able to learn new skills in a group or do they have to be in an individual session? And so it looks at a student's skills, but there's always there's also a nice barriers assessment, which I have used when I was more of an administrator as far as what is an appropriate setting for a student to learn. And then there's also an ECHOIC assessment, which was created by a fellow SLP BCBA. Uh, she's also a PhD, Barbara Esch. And it really looks at what is a student's inventory of sounds and syllable shapes and how can we get started with verbal imitation? So it is just a wealth of information. And, you know, Sasha, it can be overwhelming to use. I remember when I started eight years ago or maybe 10 now, um, administering that as part of um, a school-based team, it was kind of hard to say like, okay, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to start uh, giving this assessment um, as part of a group. But the information that you can get from that assessment gives you such a great scope and sequence of how you can help your students really, really start communicating. Yes. It, it gives you that that starting off point. And especially, you know, maybe with a learner who isn't yet able to access any of the gen ed curriculum that you have you know, that you have available, it gives you things to work on that you might not have thought about. Yes, absolutely. And there's some really good. So in the level three, that goes to 48 months. There's some good things that are kind of like beginning reading, beginning math. And so when I give this assessment now, I'm typically giving it as part of a team. So I may be working with a teacher and I may be working with other professionals, an RBT, a parapro to help administer and capture some of this information so we can have a really robust plan for our students. I loved your idea on observation because I think that's a great, you know, complement to whatever assessment you decide to utilize. What suggestions do you have when sitting down and doing that observation? Do you do just like a general like brain dump of notes or do you look for specific things? How do you structure your observation? That's a great question. So if you are using the VB map, there are certain parts of the VB map that you need to observe. So there's that. But when I go in and do an observation as a school-based SLP, I really am just there with my computer and I have a Google Drive. I'm kind of obsessed with Google Drive. It's kind of how I um, orient my whole life. But I have a Google Drive doc 
and I just am really writing the time that I got in there, what class I'm in. And I am just writing down kind of like you said, a brain dump of what I see. So observable communication, communication attempts, how the students interacting or a lack thereof. And I really just use that information to include in our IEP document to include in present levels of performance and I know sometimes with scheduling, it can be so tricky in a school, but I really try to get those observation in, in the classroom and then also during an unstructured time, because I'll tell you what, kids can look so different in different environments. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. That's a great point. And I liked how you point out that, yes, as a clinician, it's easy to jump into a classroom and observe a teacher's morning group or circle time. But I think, you know, teachers can still get creative on observing the student, maybe working with a paraprofessional or observing the student in the speech session, like doing mm-hmm. kind of the reverse of what you suggested. Absolutely. Yes. I love, I work with a, a, a dynamo teacher right now um, and we definitely do a lot of co-teaching or she will just shadow me when I do group therapy uh, so that she can see how the students are communicating and I can model different strategies for her. Oh, great. Uh, so once you have your assessment, you have your observation, you have an idea of the starting off point, where, where do you suggest going next, especially with, you know, these younger students who are communicating, but maybe not yet having verbal communication that's going along with that? That's a great question. The next step is when working with students, we really want to try to keep it fun. And I know that may sound really simplistic, but sometimes I think we get really stressed about the fact that this student is not yet communicating and we're not really sure where to go, you know, with intervention. So keeping things light, keeping things fun and using simple language. So really just kind of getting to know the students. So when using simple language, you know, saying things like, I see the truck. What we don't want to do, Sasha, and I've seen it time and time again, and I I think it's like our natural human behavior to want to do this, is that what we do typically is we may start to bombard our student with questions. So we may say, if there's a truck toy and the kid's showing some interest, people have a tendency to start bombarding the kid with questions because sometimes we think this is creating like this language enriched environment for the student, but it's really not, especially for students who are limited with their communication. So we don't want to do things like hold up the truck and say, what color is it? We don't want to do things like holding up the truck and saying, what is it? Um, sometimes we try to to have this language enriched moment with the students and really using questions is not um, the sweet spot. We really want to just use simple language. We don't want to point things out. If the student has a truck toy or something, we want to just say, oh, I see the truck. The truck goes vroom, vroom. And we try to build that connection with our students. 
Yes, I so agree with you. I've seen that a million times. And it is this natural instinct to just kind of fill fill the quiet with talking. And that's something I'm yes. definitely guilty of, like with adults too. You know, I yes. just talk. But it and it also can take something that that is reinforcing and fun for like the truck example. If a kid is genuinely interested in trucks and wants to play with a truck, you've now taken something he really wants to do and made it aversive and not fun and a demand. Yes, absolutely. And I had to do a lot of, I had this really amazing job when I worked, I lived in Austin, Texas. I was a uh, autism specialist. And I would work specifically with our group of speech therapists as a 35 person group. And one of the things that we talked a lot about was pairing, you know, pairing ourselves, the environment with reinforcement, building what I like to call a therapeutic rapport with our students. So before we get into all this instruction and, you know, we know that we want to try to make things naturalistic and play-based is really kind of providing this connection with our students. And so really, you know, I would talk with the speech therapist about this. I'd do a training. And then I go out into their campuses and I would model this and work with them. And this was really, really difficult. Um, And I think when you're new to this idea of just kind of being present in the session and just observing the student, building that connection and not bombarding with questions, just like you said, it can feel kind of awkward and it can feel like, what are we doing here? But what Mm -hmm. you're doing is really telling that student, like, you know, I've got you. I'm the person that's fun. I have all these fun toys. I'm not going to bombard you with a bunch of questions, especially if you're an early learner who's not yet spontaneously communicating. Um, We're just going to share this space and we're going to interact together and work on that connection piece. Yeah. I used to, it's so true. Like it's, it doesn't feel natural at first. Right. Um, I used to tell paraprofessionals a lot too. Like imagine if someone was speaking a language you didn't know, someone was speaking Chinese to you and just repeatedly asked you different questions in Chinese. Like, how would you feel? Like you'd feel nervous. You'd feel yes. uncomfortable. You'd be like, stop talking to me. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and that person would want to run away from you. And yes. so when I always have this funny diagram that's, you know, have you gone to students' classroom, you know, and maybe they're on the iPad, that's a whole other thing. And then, you know, you're bombarding them with questions and then you go in and say, hey, it's time for speech. And, you know, and they have a, a major, um, you know, tantrum or they just don't want to go. Um, you know, we don't want to be that person. So just really thinking of being present with your kid, understanding what they love and enjoy and using that simple language. And once you kind of have that pairing down and have that like safe space where kids feel comfortable with you and we aren't bombarding with questions, how do you kind of slowly up the ante then? Absolutely. So the next thing I want to talk about is this focus on connection before communication. So you may hear of this as joint attention. And what I really try to talk about it is having shared activities with the students, um, because I talk with a lot of parents too. And so I think this is where we build that foundation for communication. This is where we're going to start with our foundation, social reciprocity. And the three ways that I like to work on shared activities are with books, songs, and in playing with kids. Um, you know, the books that I really, really love, three that are my favorites are Pete the Cat, you know, His White Shoes, the original, <laughs> the original. Um, the OG. The OG. Um, <laughs> Brown Bear, Brown Bear, and then Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. And if you haven't used Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, that is a really great book because I have a, a client right now I see through ABA Speech. Um, and when you open up Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, it has the entire alphabet there. And my student really, really loves the alphabet. And so before I even get into the book, you know, I start, and I'll spare you today, Sasha, I will not say 
sing for you, but <laughs> I sing a lot in my sessions because, you know, preschoolers, they think my voice is good at this point. Um, <laughs> and I sing like the alphabet and they really love that. Um, I think the thing that's so important too is that we can't force engagement. We can't force this ability to engage in shared activities. So, you know, when I go out into my clients' homes, I'm providing home-based therapy. You know, parents get really nervous about, you know, we should, we have to be working on talking. Um, we have to, uh, you know, he has to sit. It's time for the book, time to sit. These aren't things that I say, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I try to coach parents on, you know, this is joint attention. I want the student to want to engage. I mm -hmm. want to make this environment so engaging and they want to be here. So whatever that means for your student, you know, this particular one I'm talking about now, you know, he loves the alphabet. So, you know, we did the alphabet puzzle together and the, or, uh, that was something we did after Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. But you have to know what your kids love and enjoy. And, you know, if they're with you for a little bit of the book and then they go away and then they come back, you know, me being the good SLP BCBA that I am, I just keep baseline data. Like, okay, the first time we did this book, remember, he just stayed for 30 seconds. Look, now this is the third week we've done it and he's sat with me for three minutes. Isn't that great? Yeah. And not being frustrated that they do walk away or taking, you know what I mean? Like learning right. from that, that's communication. They're not interested today and that's okay. Right. Every day is a new day. And we always say kind of rhetorically asking your student or your learner, what are you into today? Because we can't assume that they are going to be into the same thing. And so I love that idea. Yeah. So definitely number one is books. Number two, how I like to work on joint attention is with songs. So, you know, using wheels on the bus, wheels on the bus is super fun because you can, there's a lot of motions with wheels, wheels on the bus. Um, back in the day, um, also when I worked in Austin, I worked at an outpatient clinic and I made just with like Google images, a picture of a bus and then the little icons that, you know, go with each of the motions. And so sometimes I'll have the kids, you know, pick which one they want to do next. Um, and it's really, really fun. Same idea. You know, the first time mm -hmm. I did wheels on the bus with this, uh, one of my home clients recently, you know, they stayed for like 15 seconds and then they were gone. And, but then I got to the part where, you know, the baby on the bus goes, wah, 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 and they thought that was hilarious. So they came <laughs> back, you know? So, um, but I think that's really the, the joy of it is seeing how over time that, ability to engage and that ability to engage in a shared activity, that social reciprocity piece is going to increase in duration over time. And repeating those activities, right? Like, you I mean, I like those examples you're saying doing this one week after week so yes. we can develop some routine and consistency and kids know what to expect. Absolutely. I definitely, I will pick. And, you know, if a kid like hates, you know, Pete the Cat or hates Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, <laughs> I may change the book out. But I usually for my home clients or, you know, school-based clients will do the same type of thing for about three weeks. Yeah. Um, so that they do, they understand the routine, they know how to participate, and I think that's really great. And then I'm always thinking too, with really little ones that I'm seeing in the home that aren't even school age yet, I'm always thinking about, and I think this is what's nice about kind of my career path is I know kind of what happens in a school, you know, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm home-based is that I'm always kind of trying to prepare the kids for circle time or yeah. something like that. Because I don't know about you, but I have had so many times as an administrator where I've gone out and that's the main issue is circle time. Yes. Um, and the students really having a hard time engaging in circle time. Um, so I'm always trying to say like, okay, this is fun because it's joint attention, but it, this is also great because I know you're going to see this probably when you start attending school school as well. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm when I did in home, that was something we would set up a lot too, is like, okay, well, we're not preschool age yet, but we're about to be. And what, what's preschool going to look like? And how can we get you ready for those, those expectations that will be there even for, you know, those kids that are younger than preschool for our early intervention clinicians, starting to get them ready for that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, circle time is just so many things. I've been out to so many different districts and observed, and there's just so many things that can go wrong at circle time. And it can be yeah. really hard for autistic learners um, to engage in those activities for a whole host of reasons. But I always try to think about, you know, why is what I'm working on functional for not just this moment, but, you know, in yeah. the long run. Um, so, okay, so books, so songs, and then also play. I mean, I think play is very, very um, important and trying to find now. I I know you have three kids too. And I don't know if you have, um, your house looks like mine, but we have a finished basement part of it. And it is a treasure trove of toys. <laughs> and my kids are getting older now. They're older than your kids. And so they're like really not playing with these toys anymore. So yeah. my husband's always like, come on, let's clean the basement. I'm like, this is my therapy area. Like I go down <laughs> there and I just like, I have so much fun, like bringing different toys to my clients home. And just like you said, with the repetition. So one of the toys that I just brought um for one of my clients was this little dog that you can like walk on a leash. And so, you know, I would model that for the, the child. And if they want to take, engage in that, um, you know, playing with race cars and you each have your own car and it goes down the track and, you know, just making it fun. And I always talk to parents and say, you know, I'm always very much thinking about increasing um, my child's ability to engage in a variety of different play items, a variety of different leisure activities. And we're really not going to know what our kids like until we bring um, different things. And so I try to be really spontaneous in that way and to try to bring different things um, and, and to work on those shared activities with my clients too. Yes. I mean, I feel like there's so much to, to unpack and discuss with play, but I think Something I talk about with teachers a lot or I see like kind of a disconnect with and and maybe I'd love to hear your opinion on this is kind of the difference of the role of play in a classroom where it's this opportunity for learning and the the teacher, the educator, the clinician is, you know, an active participant versus just break time. Because I think yes. there's sometimes like a misunderstanding on what, how different the two are and that they serve different purposes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they really do. I mean, I think play is really what our kids work is. And I think that it's important for us to, you know, if you're thinking in a preschool classroom, like having different um, centers, what we would do when I was down in Texas and I was helping to support teachers and speech therapists is some of our very specialized preschool programs would have different center areas. And we would have, you know, a parapro or the teacher or a therapist stationed at that center um, and really modeling how to play, uh, engaging in shared activities with the students and really just seeing like, does the student think this is fun? Not every kid is going to like everything, um, but those are all really important things to note. And how is their communication during that time? Because it can just be such a communication enriched time and not even verbally, you know, just that back and forth social interaction where you're not even really talking, you're just engaging in an yeah. activity with some somebody else. And I think that's something too, that's like kind of my big uh, soapbox is like, I really hate when people make kids say my turn, your turn, um, yeah. when they're doing play, um, because 
typical peers don't really, they don't it's do that. It's so unnatural. <laughs> it's so unnatural. Unless like you're not taking your turn, then kids will be like, it's your turn. You know what yeah. I mean? So I just really, I always try to, uh, I mean, like being a BCBA, I'm like constantly always observing human behavior, like, you know, everywhere I go. But I always try to see like, how are kids really interacting with this toy? Like we did this whole project down in Texas once where we did, we had typical peers come in. We had let them play with like a car toy. Um, we took pictures, we took video models, and then we would use that as instruction for our autistic students. And we would show them the video models and then we would allow the kids to play just kind of like you're talking about uh, with the with the items. And they were really learning. It was like such a cool project that we did that way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, following the child's lead in play is such, I mean, that's again, something we could talk about so much, but not it being so adult driven, which I see a lot in classrooms, like this is the right way to play with this. And this is the <laughs> wrong way to play with this. And again, like, that's not like, we, 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 we wouldn't do that, I think, in, in typical preschool classrooms, but it's sometimes being done a lot in special ed preschool yeah, classrooms. Yeah, it's kind of just thinking about that student as, as a learner and how are they going to spontaneously engage with that item and just taking that in. You know what I mean? I think, you know, yeah, because there is ways to just play play and ways to work on play, but that kind of leads into my next step, which is number four, which is to really have a focus on nonverbal imitation, um, that this really helps build a foundation for communication. Um, and, you know, something I see so much, and I, I think it's like ABA programs are guilty of it because I worked in an ABA center for the past, you know, 20 years till ABA speech got too busy. Um, but, you know, like when working on imitation, like kind of a classic ABA way to do it is to say something like, do this. And then you clap and the student yes. does it after you do this and you jump. Right. And it's like, even yeah. with that same intonation, you know what I'm I saying? Know. I call I it know exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um, someone, someone asked me once, like, why do why do people use that tone of voice? And I was like, I have no idea. Oh. Like, <laughs> I made a TikTok about it. It's a therapy voice. It's just like, I try to not talk to the kids that way, but I don't know why you kind of get that way. But, you know, I put together this, I have this five-hour ASHA-proof course for uh, working with younger students. And so in doing some of this research, and it's already some things I've been doing in my own practice, but there's this idea of reciprocal imitation training. And so it's a naturalistic behavioral intervention that teaches imitation to children with autism within a social communicative context. And I think this is so, so important is to work on imitation. Absolutely. Yes. It's a foundational skill. We know that, but we need to think about why is this imitation important? How is this going to help our student build on these foundational skills to become a more independent communicator? And so the way that I would really urge people, I would say, think about how you're working on imitation now um, and think about, can you do some of these things? So working on imitation through play. So I told you I had that little dog toy. Um, I don't even know what this thing is called. It just has a little leash and you like walk the dog with it. It's very cute. I brought it over to my client's home, you know, and I, I was very excited about this. Now I knew that I was working on this skill because number one, it was going to be a shared activity, which is awesome. Number two, I was going to be working on imitation, which is a great foundational skill for our students. And so I walk the dog and I'm in his house so I can like go around the living room in the kitchen. And then I said, do you want to take the dog for a walk? And the first time that I took it, he like held that leash for like five seconds. Right. But then mm -hmm. I brought it a couple more times. And the last time I was there before the holidays, he walked it all along the kitchen. It was very, very cool. So we're still getting a lot of bang for our buck. We're working on imitation, but it's more functional. 
Yeah. It's more effective. Um, other things I've done are, you know, playing with babies. The other thing with imitation I think is important to think about too, is if you can have two sets of whatever you're working on with imitation. I know that I don't like when people touch my things. And so I always try to think about that with my own students. Like we don't really want to touch the kids' toys. If we can have, you know, I have a lot of baby dolls. Like I said, in my basement, I have two daughters, so lots of babies. Um, another thing we've done with this reciprocal imitation is having babies and each person has a baby. I have a baby. My student has a baby. We feed the baby with a baba. We burp the baby. Um, we put the baby in the crib. We put a blanket on the baby. And I try to, when I can, have more than one of those items so that I can have something and the student can have something too. It takes away that like delay of like, watch me and then do it. It's like, no, do, watch me and do it right away. Right. And it's immediate. Yes, because if you think about your own kids' development, like your own kids, because they're pretty little, like kids are always constantly imitating us, yes. right? I mean, you know, the kids are trying to like blow dry their hair and get ready or whatever it is that you do, you know, drink your Starbucks, whatever it is. These are things I do. But you know, when your <laughs> kids are little, they're always imitating, right? Yes. And autistic learners may just need more support. So if you're not working on imitation, I would suggest that you really think about it. It's a great foundational skill. And if you're working on imitation in one of those ways that's kind of more of a classic way to work on imitation, I would kind of urge you to think about how you can kind of embed and infuse more of these like natural environment ways to work on that skill. Yes. And I'm guilty of, you know, probably 15 years ago doing those same programs, like do this, Mm -hmm. do this, but there's so, you don't have to. And that's like the thing that I had a big light bulb moment on. There's so many times that you can work on imitation naturally. I feel the same way about waiting. Like you should never wait just to wait. (laughs) Like there's so many times (laughs) that you can wait that are naturally or that you can imitate that are naturally. Like Mm -hmm. it's all day. Like there's no need for that program. Right. Waiting program. Yeah. No, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just thinking about it functionally, more natural way. We're still working on the skill. We're still getting the data. We're still helping the student. And this is just a more natural, more functional way to do it. So imitation, Mm -hmm. very, very important. Um, And then the last area that I wanted to focus on that is so important is just making sure that we're working together as a team. Um, Oftentimes when we are working with an autistic learner, the team can be you know, can be overwhelming to even know who's on the team sometimes, depending on, um, you know, if you're a school-based professional, your child may be getting school-based therapy, school-based OT. You know, they may have outside providers. They may have an outside BCBA. There might be an advocate involved. It just gets very, very overwhelming. And so just making sure that we're trying to have a communication loop um, with providers. And I know it's easier said than done. I mean, I work in a school. I know that it's just overwhelming and stressful. So number one, I just try to make sure I know who's on the team. Um, and number two, if my student is working with outside providers, I try to get permission so that at least once a year or twice a year that I can check in with uh, team members to to make sure that we talk about IEP goals and we talk about progress and we talk about how the student is doing. Because when we work together like that as a team, we can just make such an end impact in the lives of our students. Oh my gosh, yes. And it takes that responsibility and that the weight of that off of the parent who's sometimes left to be the in-between, which right. isn't really their role. They're a member of the team. They're not the like in-between person. So I think that's such a great point to reach out to those outside providers 
and and really loop them in as much as possible because it's just going to make everything better. Absolutely. And even for like the teacher speech therapist component or when I was working in an ABA clinic, something that I always tried to do was um, have a shared Google Doc between myself and the teacher or myself if I'm if I was working in an ABA clinic between myself and the RBTs to talk about, you know, this is what the goals are. Um, these are future targets. You know, if you're working in an ABA program and they're taking daily, daily data and they're like just moving on to the next target, you know, yeah. when it's been mastered and things like that. So that I try to just really have that great communication loop because oftentimes, you know, when you're working at ABA center, I would set the communication goals. But on the days that the students didn't have speech therapy, those goals were being run by, you know, RBTs and um, teachers and things like that. So just making sure that everybody's in the loop on communication, what the targets are, why they're important, you know, all that great stuff. The dream scenario. Yes, the <laughs> dream scenario. If you're not there, it's the gold standard, yes. but yeah. it, it could be as easy as a Google Doc. <laughs> right? I know. I love it. Yes. Oh my gosh, Rose, these are such great suggestions, I think, for the home setting, a clinic setting, or just for a parent, you know, in the classroom as mm -hmm. well. So thank you so much for, for sharing your suggestions because I think even though we really focus on the little guys, all of these ideas can be utilized in a different way with our older learners as well. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, thank you. And so where can people go? The many ways people can go, can learn more about you and ABA Speech. Yes. Visit me, abaspeech.org. I have a lot of great resources there. I have a five-hour ASHA-proof course all about little ones called Start Communicating Today. And I have a podcast that comes out every Tuesday called Autism Outreach. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rose. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.